Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Tyler, one of the pastors here. So glad that you guys are with us this morning. We are going to be continuing in our series, Kingdom of God, as we kind of as we look at different times that Jesus has revealed himself to his disciples post-resurrection and pre-ascension. Last week we were in John 21. We'll be in John again this morning and we looked at the, the, the sense that Jesus, uh, you know, the disciples were fishing and they didn't catch anything and Jesus said, hey, cast the net on the other side and then all of a sudden it's so full of fish they can't pull the net in. Love just that miracle, just that image of Jesus knows exactly what it is that you and I need to do in our day-to-day lives. Like, that just takes such great hope in that. You know, in those moments where even when you think you know what you need to do, like, he still knows. Even if you don't know what you need to do, he still knows. And so uh, we have a study guide here if you want to grab that on the way out. You can grab that. Gino writes that every week. Gino, thank you so much for that. And as I said, we're going to be in John chapter 21. Before I do that... um, You know, here's the thing, you know, Jesus didn't, last week we also talked about Jesus doesn't need our gifts, but he has gifted you and me with a skill set and gifts to use for kingdom purposes. He doesn't need our gifts, but yet he gives them anyway. And so the question this morning is, what does Jesus want for you and for me to do with those gifts? He doesn't need them, but yet he wants us to give them to him as an offering. And again, we also talked about last week too, is he doesn't need us to build the kingdom that he instituted with his death and resurrection, but yet he does want us to participate with him. And so this that balance of he doesn't need us, but he wants us to join him in the work that he's doing. That's exactly what he wants us to do. And the answer to that question, what does he want us to do, is as varied as the skill set that each of us have. It's as different as all the skill sets, all the gifts, all the training, all the things that you've learned, all your life experiences, your family of origin, all those things kind of crammed in here. That's the answer to the question. But then the other side of that is that we also have a common call. We all have a common call. And the reality of it is that each of us, you and me, share a common purpose in addition to the unique purpose that God has made us with. Let me say that again. The reality is that you and me, each of us, share a common purpose in addition to the unique purpose that you and I have been created for. That's why we get to do this together. It's what makes it a lot of fun, you know. And we did our marriage weekend uh, Friday night and yesterday, and you know. And so I've just been thinking, kind of marriage stuff with D and I. And the reality of it is how D and I relate to each other. We talked about this yesterday. How we relate to one another in marriage is unique based on our personality traits, our family of origin, our communication style, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What she likes, what she doesn't like, what I like, what I don't like. Those things often always agree, by the way, right? You ever experience that kind of agreement? The things that you don't like, she likes the same, she doesn't like the same things, and the things I like, she likes the same things. That's how our marriage works, just so you know. But we both have a common purpose in our marriage, to move towards something. That something in marriage is oneness, right? It's something uh, that we move together, oneness. So in spite of all the differences, in spite of all the different characteristics and the gift set and the family of origin stuff, we still have a common call, a common purpose to be one together as much as we can. That's where the joy and the sorrow comes, right? 
Uh, she's probably more sorrow on her part, probably more joy on my part. But then again, I'm a guy. You know how that goes, right? Here's the other thing, too. Like when I, th- you know, who's ever worked at a fast food restaurant or waited tables? Restaurant one summer with my best friend. And somehow, like me and my best friend, we got scheduled on the same shift the entire summer. And I'll take it one step further. We got scheduled doing the same task the entire summer. So, like, if we were in the ki- he was in the kitchen, I was in the kitchen. If he was on the drive-through, I was on the drive-through. If we were on the front line, he was on the front line, right? Or I was on the front line. I don't know. They paid us to play, kind of, you know. But you know, we didn't do anything gross to anybody's food or anything like that. So I'm not going to say that. But I'll just say this: be polite to people who work in food service. That includes the drive-through window. Because you don't know what happens until they hand you your food out that window. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. That's just a little nugget that's not in my notes. But there you go. Take it as a blessing from the Lord. Uh, and so here's the thing. Uh, really, it's a blessing. But anyway, um, here's the thing. Like each employee, we all had a unique skill set and a task to do. But the job was to sell roast beef. Now, notice I didn't tell you which one I worked at, but I just gave you a hint. Uh, well, well, you know, they're not paying us, so I'm not saying their name. But anyway, no, I'm kidding. I did work at Arby's. And actually, it's funny, you know, uh, with Arby's, like, whether you like their beef or not, like, once they run out, like, they can't make it anymore because it takes, like, four hours to roast that thing. So that at least was kind of true. But there's the thing. Like, the common purpose for the staff, whoever was working, was to move toward selling the product, right? Our common purpose is the body of Christ is to glorify the product, Jesus, not ourselves, but him. And so this morning, we're going to look at Jesus' interaction with Peter on the beach after last week's interaction with the net full of fish, okay? So that's where we're going to be, John chapter 21, if you want to turn in your Bibles there. It's going to be in on the board behind me. But here's the thing, we're going to look at the common purpose you and I each have as Christ followers, and if there's anything that you hear from this morning, this is what I want you to take away. Your unique calling and gift set is just as important as the common purpose for which you've called, been called, okay? Likewise, the common purpose for which you've been called is just as important as your unique gift set and the work and, do, about, and being about doing that kind of work. All right, John chapter 21, verse, starting in verse 15. I'll read this over us and we'll make our way through the passage. And so when they'd finished breakfast, remember now Jesus met them on the beach. They couldn't pull the net in. They almost sunk the boat. Peter jumped out of the boat. He was greeted with a fire with bread and fish. And then Jesus says, hey, go, once you go bring a fish and, and that you caught. And so now they finished breakfast. So part of this reason John records this is that they want you and me to know who's reading this 2,000 years later and everyone that's read it before us and that will read it after us, that Jesus, as he was resurrected, was still in bodily form. That's important. So, there, so John's given evidence that he's eating food, okay? You know, the prevailing culture of first century was that, well, if he's resurrected, he was kind of a ghost. Well, he can't be a ghost if he's resurrected, kind of messes up. The whole, what Tony was talking about earlier, that he's died and paid for our sins. So he is in bodily form, and he's eating breakfast, okay? So when they had finished breakfast, verse 15, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, who are the these? The disciples. Isn't that funny? So remember, they're, they're all there. They've all been fishing in the same boat, except for Judas anyway. But he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. 
And then he said a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to them, him, tend my sheep. Verse 17, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John. I don't know why he just doesn't call him Peter, but whatever. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. So at this point, Peter's indignant, right? He's like, well, he's grieved, he's hurt. And he says, Lord, you know everything you know. You know, excuse me, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And then he says this in verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And then here's the parentheses, the explanation in 19. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Follow me. And so, because the author, what's interesting here, you know, is the disciples are all around, and then all of that fades to the, side, to the background, and now we're solely focused on Jesus and Peter having this interaction with each other. And matter of fact, even John, who's writing the book, kind of pushes himself off to the side as well. So there's something important that John wants us to hear this morning. We're going to give it that kind of focus. And so, Jesus asked Peter three questions this morning on the beach. He says, like I said, Simon, Peter, son of John, do you love me more than these? Why would Jesus ask him this question in comparison to the other disciples? It's interesting, isn't it? Like he solely, he singles out Peter to say, Peter, do you love me? He doesn't ask the rest of them that, although it's recorded in other places that if you love me, you'll follow what I say. But he's talking directly to Peter. And so why would Jesus ask him this question? And we find the answer in Mark and in Matthew. Mark 14, 29 says this. And again, you know, like Jesus' interactions with people, I think, are pretty funny. Uh, they're hard at times, but they're also funny. But in 29, it says this. He said, Peter said to him, this is Jesus foretelling of Peter's, he's prophesying Peter's denial on when Jesus is arrested. And Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. The they there is the same they in, this, in the passage in John, the disciples. So Peter's saying, well, hold on a second. Even though all the disciples will melt and fall away and, 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 and withdraw from you, I will not. Matthew 26, 3, 26.33 says this as well. Matthew records this interaction too. And Peter says, Though they all will fall away because of you, I will never fall away. So you've got Peter there before all this happens saying, no matter what happens, no matter what happens to you, what happens to us, while everybody else kind of cuts and runs, I am going to stay with you until the end. And here's the harsh reality. Peter failed Jesus mightily. He failed Jesus mightily. So Peter, of course, John, you know, Jesus is like, hey, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You know, I've told you so. I've showed you. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. 
Kind of an interesting response, isn't it? There's some kind of connection to loving Jesus and feeding lambs. Jesus is trying to show Peter, hey, you love me. You said that you would never fall away. You said that even though everyone else would fall away, that you're not going to fall away. And you did anyway. And now Jesus is asking him again. And Peter's reaffirming, yes, I do love you, Lord. I love you. I want to follow you wherever you want me to go. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. What are lambs, by the way? They're just young sheep. They're baby sheep, right? It could be an age or maybe not. It could be spiritually a young sheep is anyone who needs to grow. By the way, we're all young sheep. Do you know that? Like, I am, you are, like, let me save you the trouble. Like, we're all on this path to become more like Jesus. And so Peter, or Jesus is telling Peter, he's saying, hey, if you love me, help people who are younger than you in the faith or age-wise to take next steps to be more like me. That's what loving me is right? That's what loving me is. It's taking responsibility and helping someone else grow, helping someone else see Jesus, interact with Jesus, serve like Jesus, all those things. All right, so Peter's got it. Okay, so I've got it. You said, feed my lambs. Okay, we're good. And then Jesus says this in verse 16, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And of course, Peter's like, seriously, again, okay, okay, this is good. Thanks for feeding me, by the way. Yes, Lord, know that I love you. Know that I love you. He's not now just saying, yes, I love you, but now, no, you know that I love you. And Jesus' response is, well, tend my sheep. Tend my sheep. So there's something about loving Jesus where you and I have a responsibility. Peter has a call on his life. No matter what he's done in the past, no matter what he's going to do in the future, there's something about loving Jesus where Peter has to help people grow spiritually. And then also, he also has to tend sheep. Well, there's something about loving Jesus that means we have to keep track of other sheep. So the question is, is can I really help people grow if I don't help keep track of them? Right? Who keeps track of a sheep? Of sheep? A shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, the shepherd, the resurrected shepherd. And what's happening in this scene this morning is Jesus is transferring his call to be the shepherd, which he will still remain, and he's handing it off to Peter. I wonder if it'd be easier to track if we like and keep, keep track of people is if we let them know that we love them and that we hand things to them, right? Like... That's the thing. There's something about loving Jesus that means that we help people grow and that we keep track of kind of where they are and in their walk. Now, here's the thing. Like, have you ever seen a sheep? You've seen the, the, the meme where the sheep jumps in the ditch and it gets pulled out and it jumps back in the ditch again. Have you seen that? Like, it's really funny. Like, sheep, I am one, so I could say this about myself. Like, they're smelly, they're a little dumb, and they like to bite. Like, it's, that's true, though. Like, but that's true of me, right? Like, you catch me on a bad day, I'm a little stinky, I'm a little dumb, and I like to bite. You know, you could ask D. You know, it happens all the time. But the reality of it is, is that you and I are supposed to, Peter is supposed to, keep track of other sheep. And that equates to directly loving Jesus. And then verse 17. Jesus goes again, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
And then Peter, as I said, is grieved. Like, he's heartbroken. Can you imagine? So there's two direct questions. He's given two different commands. And now Jesus is going for a third time. Like, who loves talking about the same thing the third time in a row? Not many people, right? Like, Dean and I do that in our marriage. It doesn't work out too well. But yet Jesus is doing that again. And he's saying, Peter, do you love me? And Peter being grieved, saying, Lord, you know everything. You're asking a question that you already know the answer to. I love that. I mean, like, like Peter's calling him on his stuff. Like, it's kind of funny. Like, well, hold on a second. You know all. You, all, you are all. You know everything. You know that I love you. Why are you asking me a question you already know the answer to? I love the audacity of Peter there, given the fact that, you know, what he's done, you know, what he didn't do and what he did do well and what he didn't. And Jesus says this, feed my sheep. Not only are we supposed to feed young sheep and keep track of the flock, we're also supposed to just feed sheep in general. There's something about loving Jesus and being a conduit for spiritual food. Let me say that again. There's something about loving Jesus and being a conduit for spiritual food. Do you know what a conduit for food is? A grocery store. It's a grocery store. I don't know what your favorite grocery store is. Mine's H-E-B. There are none here, and I hate it. But when I lived in Austin, like, H- like I remember when we moved from Tennessee to Austin, and we're like, where's a Kroger? Because that's what they had in Knoxville. And if you love Kroger, I'm sorry. It's the worst grocery store ever. But anyway, um, but here's the thing. There you go. There you go. But here's the thing. Like, and we're like, gosh, where are we going to get groceries? So like, we never lived there. We didn't move there. We moved into an apartment that we didn't even see side on scene, you know. So, it's, you know, we were just rolling the dice, you know, like that's what we do sometimes. But anyway, and we're like, well, there's this Heb grocery store. What's Heb? That's weird, you know, not knowing that it was initials for the guy who started the thing. But that's the thing, a conduit. You and I are supposed to be a conduit for spiritual food to get to people in the form of sharing the gospel. You and I are the H-E-B of spiritual food, which is different from feeding sheep. Like, we're supposed to have that available to us to give to someone else. But oftentimes, like you and me, like me, you know, like I get busy and, 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 and I get in hard seasons. Tony, you were talking about seasons a second ago. Like on the other side of a dry season, there's the garden. But sometimes in that dry season, I feel like I don't have a lot of stuff on the shelves. You ever feel that way? Like or there's nothing in the back. What's out is what's out, you know, like a, like a bad toilet paper pandemic run. You know what I mean? Like that's the thing. But it's true. But there's something about the reality of it. If we love Jesus, that we will be a conduit for spiritual food for other people. Feed my sheep. It's different from the first one. And then in verse 18, it says this, Truly, truly, you know, and whenever you see truly, truly, it means amen, amen. So Jesus is saying, amen, amen. When you were young, you did what you wanted and went where you wanted. But when you were old, your hands will be stretched out and carried where you do not want to go. And so you're like, well, hold on a second. Like, what does that have to do about loving Jesus, period? Like, Jesus is saying, hey, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do these three things. And then he goes into this thing. And I think, now this is very specific for Peter, as we said in verse 19, but it's also specific for you and me, for you and me. And so look at the contrast between these phrases in verse 18. When you were young, it starts with when you were young, but later on it says when you get old. Okay? The second one, you used to dress yourself, which is good, right? That's always fun. 
but at some point someone else will dress you. You know, and then the other one is, is go wherever you choose versus being brought to a place that you do not choose. There is something about being young where we have plenty of freedom and less responsibility. My kids are like, like I got asked the question the other day in the dentist chair is like, what are you doing for summer break? And I'm like, I don't have summer breaks anymore. You know what I mean? And like, it was kind of confused. I was like, wait, how old does she think I am? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I was like, I didn't know quite how to answer the question because I'm like, my summer break is the summer break it's been for the last 10,000 years, it seems like at this point, you know? Like, what are you doing for spring break? Watching my kids have fun, right? I mean, like, that's my spring break. That's my, that's my summer break. Like, what's going on? Well, they're going to the pool. I don't know. You know, I've got stuff to do, you know? But there's, it's something about being young when you have more freedom and less responsibility. You know, my kids' job is to focus on school, hopefully, and play video games. They don't have to make the mortgage payment or pay the bills or do adult things, right? But there's interesting just the prophecy of what Jesus is saying to Peter. When you were young, you got to do this, this, and this. And when you were old, this, this, and this will happen. See the difference? See the difference? And here's the thing. This is a takeaway for, you, for, for us this morning. The older you become, the more responsibility you have. Can we agree on that statement? That, that makes sense, right? But here's the end of that statement. You know what that means? It means you and I have less freedom. You ever thought about that? Like the more responsibility, the less freedom you have. Freedom is, you know, at a base level, I think is choice. And so the older we become, the more things we have on our shoulders, the less choices we actually get to make. I would certainly love to have a summer break, but that doesn't work very well, right, for where I am in my life. Spring break would be fun too. My last spring break was, gosh, Oh, two? That was the last one. I wasn't going back. But anyway, I'll save that for another time. But here's the thing. Adulting, you know, it's funny. Like we, talk, we hear about adulting. Adulting has certainly taken longer in the current generation than in generations that passed according to the data and research. Here's the thing. Like people are getting married later in life. Dean and I got married later in life. Like we kind of broke that trend. We were on the front end of that kind of wave. And having kids later as well, that was true for us as well. And so... It's, but here's the thing, like we, it's easy to focus this conversation on millennials and Gen Zers, but it's not true. It's all, it's all relative. And here's the thing about adulting is you could see when it's happening and you could see when it's not. Right? Agreed? Like, like D knows when I'm acting like an adult and when I'm not, unfortunately. You probably do too. And that's the thing. Like you could tell when someone is acting their age or acting their spiritual age. And this is not the conversation where it's like, you should do this and I'm going to wag my finger at you because I hate that. But I'm not doing that. But here's the thing. Jesus is not talking about maturation from an age standpoint. He's talking about with Peter, a spiritual maturity as well. He's talking about it from a spiritual maturity as well. Peter is to become the first shepherd of the church in place of Jesus. That's not an age thing. These guys were uneducated fishermen. They didn't have a skill set that translated, but Jesus's gifting translated very well. See that? Peter's not replacing Jesus. We really talked about that this morning, but he will be the rock upon the church is built. Peter's not replacing Jesus, but he will be the rock upon the church 
is built. As a matter of fact, he says, Peter, you said this, upon, your, upon this rock I will build my church. And then the other reality is this. Peter is an under-shepherd charged with tending and feeding sheep. And so here's the thing. Back to the, 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 um, the, the prophecy for Jesus' life. Jesus is telling Peter the way in which he's going to die. When he was young, he used to dress himself wherever he wanted. At some point, someone will dress him in an outfit that he does not want to be dressed in. It's true. He used to go wherever he wants. He will be taken by the hand toward a place he does not want to go. And the same is true for you and for me. The same is true for you and for me. And to be honest, like, that's kind of scary. Like, I don't know what that looks like for me. But on the other hand, like, I kind of want to see what it is. Right? And that's the hope that we've all been called to. Imagine, like, you and I are each called to live as if we were dead people because Jesus is so alive. I love just the interplay in, the, in what's happening this morning. Here's Jesus in this resurrected body who is more as is, is fully alive as he was the day he was crucified. And matter of fact, you know, Peter's alive as well. And he's talking about, hey, Peter, like you're, you're, there's an end run here to, to the race that you're running. And it's about laying down freedom, not picking more freedom back up. The more we grow to be like Christ, the less choice you and I have. And I know that's hard because, like, we're Americans and we love choice and we have 10,000 salsa choices in the, in the salsa aisle at Kroger, as bad as that grocery store is, you know, and all those things. But here's the thing, like, that's a good thing. Like, maturity is a good thing. Becoming older while crappy is a good thing in some ways. But spiritual maturity is even better. It's even better. And that's what God, that's what Jesus calls to you and to me. so there's something about it, something about it, that while Peter is going to be the first shepherd and not replace Jesus as the under-shepherd, that you and I have that call as well. And then verse 19 comes. Jesus' last command to Peter in this passage this morning is to simply follow him. He tells him how he's going to die, and he says, follow me. He's saying that to you and to me this morning, too. We don't know what our time looks like, but we have time right now. We should make good use of it. And that starts with loving Jesus by what? Feeding those that are behind us. Taking care of the people that are around us. And then being a conduit and a a place where people can get access to spiritual food. And then we're supposed to follow him. We're supposed to do the same thing. So Jesus wants Peter to follow him. And I love this. Peter wants to, do you get the sense Peter really wants to follow Jesus too, even though he doesn't know what he's talking about? Look at John 13, 36 and 37. This is fun. Let's see. No, that's Luke. That's not it. Here we go. John 13, 6 and 7. 36 and 37. It's behind me. Is that it? There it is. Thank you. You know, it's like I'm playing a, you know, a thing. I think I misread it. Anyway, here you go. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow 
me now, but you will follow afterward. I love just that image. You cannot follow me now, but you will follow me. Here's the reality. Where Jesus has gone, you and I can't follow, but we will follow one day. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. How little, how true is he that he's actually going to lay his life down? And then, and, and here's what happens. He, of course, he, if you know the story, you know, some people think that he, he hangs himself on the cross upside down because he's not worthy enough to hang right side up because that's how Jesus was crucified. We know Peter gets crucified. There's some debate of whether that happens or not. But the reality of it is, is that Peter call, Jesus calls Peter, excuse me, to his death in following him and calls him to do things as he is following him before he gets there. And he calls that to you and to me. And so there's a reason why Jesus asked Peter three times if he loved him. And it goes back to Jesus' betrayal. You know, it was, Judas, it was Judas that sold him out for the 30 pieces of silver, right? Like Judas, you know, rightly so, we hang all that on Judas. Because he made the deal and set it all in motion. But here's the thing. Each disciple betrayed Jesus that night. All of them did. None of them were spared from the defeat of betraying Jesus and running away. None of them were. The reality is that each disciple betrayed Jesus. We just know Peter's denial on Good Friday Eve because of what it is. I want to read it to you. Luke 22, 54 through 62. And they seized him and led him away. This is Jesus bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire. I love that. Like, you know, just... You know, a few weeks ago we looked at the disciples on the road to Emmaus and it said, our, did our hearts not burn within us? And we talked about like when we have true interactions with Jesus, it kindles something within us. And so, you know, and when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. At least Peter was in there. I mean, you know, so maybe he gets a little bit of a pass. And I'm not sure. But then a servant girl, a young lamb, by the way, a servant girl, a lamb, seeing him. As he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You are also one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour still, so I mean, two interactions within a short time. Imagine the guilt that Peter's thinking in his head. Like, I can't believe I just did that. I can't believe I just did that. And an hour later, here's the third denial. Still another insisted, saying, certainly this man was also with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately while he's still speaking, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And I love this. The Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying. Remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. He went out and wept bitterly. So here's the thing. If you want to think about it, why did Jesus ask Peter three times if he loved him? It's because he denied him three times. He denied him three times, so Jesus asked him three times. And while Judas, Judas excuse me, ends up hanging himself over the guilt of selling Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, Peter accepts Jesus' grace and is restored. And the picture here, Jesus asked him three times to count the, to, to, to 
to offset the three is that no matter what Peter does, Jesus will always restore him because he is a follower of Jesus. No matter what you've done, no matter what I've done, there might be consequences for those things. But here's the thing. Jesus will always restore us back because his death is that far reaching. So I don't know if you're a person that struggles with guilt. You know, yesterday we were talking about, is it easier to forgive yourself or someone else in the context of our marriages? I'm a, I, I, it's so easier, it's much easier for me to forgive someone else than to forgive myself. Because I want, I would like to think that I could get it right. And getting it right has nothing to do with our walk. And so the takeaway for this morning is that we fail, but our spiritual lives are dependent upon Jesus in his faithfulness, not ours getting it right. So just like Peter, you and I fail, but here's the good news. Jesus predicted Peter's failures and still used him for the kingdom. You see that? He predicted what was going to happen to Peter. He predicted how he was going to respond, and yet he still used Peter in a mighty way. So failure does not mean that you have nothing to offer to the kingdom. Failure does not mean you have nothing to offer on the kingdom. And I love it, again, that just that picture of Jesus restoring Peter for the times that he denied him that he said that he would. And so for you this morning, I don't know, like we all, and let me just save you the trouble, like I deny Jesus all the time. Like my walk is far from perfect because there's all these other things at, at work in my life, Right? Jesus restores those things. He died for those things, and he will repurpose those things. And if it's true for Peter, it's true for me, and it's true for you. Let me say it again. If it's true for Peter, it's true for me, it's true for you, because the reality of it is, while I might be standing here, there's no difference between my walk and your walk. We're all in need of Jesus Christ this morning. And so the conclusion is, is back, way back to where we started this morning, is this, is that Jesus had gifted Peter, but he also called him to a common purpose, and he's calling you and me to be for that common purpose as well. Is that we need to shepherd people like Peter was asked to by Jesus this morning. Another way of saying it is this, that you and I are called to help people take next spiritual steps. That's it. You don't even have to have everything to help someone take the next step. That's what I love. Like, I don't have to know, I like knowing stuff, but I don't have to know everything to help someone take a next step. I just have to be available and be ready to feed and ready to tend and and, and have something to offer. That means being present. Like, half the time, helping people take next steps is just showing up. It's just being present, right? Like, you know, I want my marriage to work slightly well. I have to show up, right? I want my kids to know that I love them, that means I have to be present. It's the same thing with us. But yet everything, you know, especially the last few years, is trying to divide us, right? And pull us away from one another. If anything, you know, I read an article the other day, is that like churches are going to have to do better on digital ministry because of the way things are going. That's certainly true, like that's important. But if anything, I think what the pandemic has shown and what the last two and a half years has shown us is that, no, actually what we need is good old-fashioned analog relationships, We need good old-fashioned analog relationships because this doesn't work very long. But life on life and being present and being with one another, that's where the goodness happened. That's where the goodness happened. I would say be present, show up. 
because there's opportunities all over the church and the world to help people take next spiritual steps. And they're as varied as your skill set. See that? Now you've been gifted and purpose to go do that. You have been gifted uniquely and purposed uniquely to fill the common purpose to shepherd people towards Jesus. That's why you have a skill set. It's for that purpose. Not to build anything, not to build a kingdom or anything like that. And so whether it's, you know, the new men's small group that's starting or we have free date nights in June and July uh, that we want to just invest in families here. You know, small groups, we have VBS, we have student and kids ministries, serving needs in our community and in our church. We have the women's ministry outings. We have the, the men's retreat uh, that was announced earlier. We have lots of opportunities for us to show up and participate. And here's the good thing. I don't want it just to be about us. I want it to be out there too. That's where the awesomeness happens too, right? Imagine we actually interact or impact someone for Jesus who would never walk in the door to this church. We just brought Jesus to them. See that? That's what is being called out, right? That's being a missionary. Expecting everyone to show up here, that's expecting them to be the missionary. We have the good news. We have the Savior that's risen and resurrected and sitting on the throne, advocating for you and for me. So, the band's going to come back up. <clears throat> and here's, it's easy for someone like me, it's easy to kind of step away from this message and say, well, I'm not doing this, I'm not doing this, I'm not doing that, I'm not doing that. So I'm going to say this to me, and I'm going to say this to you that have that similar perspective. It's not about what or not we're doing. It's about what we get to do. Jesus did not make it about Peter's denial. You notice he never actually broached the topic verbally with him. He just restored him in the only way that he could, as gently as he could, and then said, go do this. We have challenges and opportunities to do that all over the place. And no matter how much we fumble or mess up, Jesus will always restore us to a place where we could follow him again and again and again and again and again. It does not matter how much we mess up because his grace is sufficient. Amen? Amen. I hope you're excited because I am. That's the kind of place I want this place to be where we're all doing a part that God has gifted us to do. Will you stand and pray with me? God, I pray, um, as I just think about just your grace and your goodness, Lord, it overwhelms me often that you would continue to use me even when I fall so much short. Um, that when I, I'm, I'm not clear on this, what you're asking me to do, uh, Lord, that you still, you still do. You still invite and so when I think about just us continuing to become the church of what we read this morning, we're already doing those things. That's what's so exciting is that we actually are feeding and tending and pointing people to you. May we continue to do so. For you know, If there's someone here, Lord, that doesn't know where their part is, I pray that, uh, Lord, that you would allow us to, to, in relationship, show them what that might be. Lord, here's the thing. How about you tell them? And they hear and receive it and then take it and move forward. For someone who doesn't, uh, you know, for Lord who feels, who struggles with failure, God, like I do, 
feel like we don't get it right, that we get distracted. We let other things take our eye off of you. Lord, you've accounted for all that in your death. We don't have to make up for that. That's where I get stuck. I feel like I have to do extra to make up for what, where, I, where I fall short. That's just a lie from Satan. And God, that you want us to live in freedom, not under that kind of works mentality and that kind of bondage. And so, Lord, I think what you're calling us to in our own little way, both individually and together as a church, that as we become more like you, the, less, the more freedom we'll lay down for the, your sake and for your gospel and for your glory. And it's just simple. You say, follow us. So may we do that. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would lead and guide us. And as we sing in response, may we, may we sing in such a way where that we want to follow you. Lord, thank you for this morning. It's in your name. Amen.